Shalom and welcome to The Jewish Mind, where the growth of modernity meets the timeless wisdom and solutions of Judaism. In life, there are ups and downs, sweet moments and painful moments. All of this is perfectly normal for the person that lives in the present, a present undictated by his past. However, all too often, this isn't the case. A bit shy of two decades ago, I spoke to a lawyer who was presenting his client against an insurance company. Peter was the lawyer's name. Peter explained to me that his client had a rare neurological disease in which the brain kept on replaying the accident, causing the pain of the impact of the accident in present real time over and over again. This is Precisely what happens to so many of us, albeit not on the physical neurological level, yet absolutely so on the psychological and emotional level. Worst of all, this happens to us on an intellectual level in which our paradigm of life and our paradigm of every present and pending situation is perceived through. The past dictates to us our present in which we are actually always stuck in replaying the past. In this lecture, based upon the teaching of the Rebbe concerning Joseph and his brother Judah, we will learn how to liberate ourselves from replaying the pain of our past over and over again. This week's Torah portion begins with Judah approaching Joseph. Last week's Torah portion concluded with Joseph's messenger finding the stolen cup which Joseph had commanded him to hide in Benjamin's sack. Judah asked to take the place of Benjamin and to serve as a slave to Joseph so that Benjamin can return to his father Jacob. Judah is the one offering because it was Judah who promised Jacob of Benjamin's safe return. In closing of the portion, Joseph denies Judah's request. Judah is now approaching Joseph, the viceroy of Egypt, ready to engage in war if necessary to have Benjamin return safely to their father. Something in Judah's words triggered Joseph's compassion. As jo- Joseph cries out and reveals his true identity to his brother. What was it in Judah's words that brought about this change of heart in Joseph? For the Haftorah, to this week's Torah portion, our sages chose a portion from Ezekiel which begins with And I quote the verses, And the word of God came to me, saying, And you, son of man, take for yourself one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel his companions. And take one stick and write upon it for Joseph the stick of of Ephraim and all the house of Israel his companions. And bring them close one to another into one stick, and they shall be one in your hand. The connection is that in the Haftorah, once again, we speak of Joseph and Judah being brought together. However, there is a very distinct difference in the Torah portion. It is Joseph who is the king and remains the king after Judah's approach to Joseph. However, in the Haftorah, the prophecy goes on to say, and I quote to you the verse, And my servant David shall be king over them, and one shepherd shall be for them all. Now the house of David is from the tribe of Judah. And thus it is Judah who remains the king after Joseph and Judah are brought together. To understand this, we will have to explore how Judah and Joseph exist globally in service to God and how they exist within each individual in his service to God. And now for the list of mystical concepts we need to explore in order to understand this lecture. A. Study versus action. B. Prayer versus redemption. C. 
what humility does to our past, and let the amazement of Hasidus begin. On a global level, the difference between Judah and Joseph is that of the difference between action and study. Judah represents strength and kingship. The verse states, Judah prevailed over his brothers, which speaks of strength in action, as does monarchy, in which the king demands laws of actions. Joseph, on the other hand, represents growth, as Rachel explains why she is naming him Joseph. May God grant me yet another Joseph, yet another son. The actual word Joseph means to make more. In the Torah, we speak of Ephraim, the son of Joseph. Here, too, the name Ephraim means to multiply, as Joseph explains. And the second one he named Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful, Hephrani, made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. In the global sense of serving God, the concept of growth exists primarily in Torah study, in which not only does the individual grow in his Torah knowledge, but even more so, through his study, he extrapolates new insights into the Torah, growing the Torah. As a matter of fact, the approach between Joseph and Judah creates an elevation in each of them. Action, Judah, causes elevation and study, Joseph, for when a person studies not just for the sake of knowledge or even for the sake of spiritual growth, rather he studies to know what must be done and what is forbidden to do, he studies with greater humility, searching for only God's will. So to study, Joseph, elevates action, Judah, for the action is now saturated with the knowledge of the reasons, details, and even new insights of the study, which fills the actions with feelings. Nevertheless, in the times of the exile, prior to the messianic times of which Ezekiel in the Haftorah speaks of, Joseph, Torah study, rules, as the Talmud states, Rabbi Tarfin and the elders were once reclining in the upper story of Nitzah's house in Lydia. When this question was raised before them, is study greater or practice? Rabbi Tarfin answered saying, practice is greater. Rabbi Akiva answered saying, study is greater for it leads to practice. Then they all answered and said, study is greater for it leads to action. Thus the ruling is clear that study is greater. Joseph However, the answer is actually quite tricky indeed. The reason why study is greater than action is only because study leads to action. Thus, when Mashiach comes, we will experience that action is greater than study. For the greatness of study here is that it leads to action. Thus, in the Haftorah, it is Judah who remains king. In other words, Today we experience the greatest unity with God through our Torah study, even a greater unity than we experience through mitzvah observance, because through Torah study we digest, we understand, we internalize the Word of God. However, when Mashiach comes and the essence greatness of the physical will be revealed and experienced to the point where our spiritual soul will receive its life force from our physical body, then we will experience the ultimate essence oneness with God through the physical action, Judah. Let's go on to the next concept, prayer versus redemption. On an inner individual dimension, Judah represents acceptance and humility, while Joseph represents redemption and revelation. The experience of Judah is in the service of prayer, while the experience of Judah is in understanding and perceiving God and our relationship with God, which leads to the revelation of emotions, love and fear, and their redemption from egocentric servitude. Concerning Judah, Leah explained why she gave him the name Judah, and I quote you the verse in Genesis, And she conceived again and bore a son, and she said, This time I will thank 
Ode from the root of Yehuda, I will thank God. Therefore, she named him Judah. Gratitude is all about humility and acceptance. In mystical terms, the last two words of the verse is, Vatamod miledet, and she stopped, expresses the greatness of this humility and acceptance. Let's see. In Kabbalah, Leah's first three children, Reuven is wisdom, Shimon is understanding, and Levi is knowledge, the three intellects. It is only when we are willing to let go of the ego of our intellects that we reach Vatamod Miledet, which mystically means, practically it means Vatamod Miledet, and she stopped, she stood from pouring any more children. However, mystically, we reverse the words. Mystically, it means Miledet, we give birth to, we reach Vatamod, which means standing in silence, the Amida prayer. Humility, which is the ultimate oneness with the essence of God. Joseph is all about redemption as Joseph represents the victory of the war over our emotions, where we win over our emotions to be theocentric revelation rather than egocentric concealment. Now let us return to the microscopic experience of and Judah approached him, Joseph. The mystical secret to the opening verse of our Torah portion, then Judah approached him, lays hidden in a Talmudic ruling. The Talmudic ruling is, I quote, The Master said, Let him recite Shema and say the Tefillah, prayer. This accords with the view of Rabbi Yohanan, for Rabbi Yohanan says, Who inherits the world to come? The one who follows the Giula immediately with the evening Tefillah. So let's explain what it means, the one who founds Giula, which means redemption, immediately with the evening tefillah. You see, Giula refers to the benediction of the deliverance from Egypt. It follows the Shema and precedes the tefillah. Okay, to understand this, one must first understand that in our prayers, we are performing two separate commandments. One is the commandment of reciting the Shema, and the other is the commandment to pray. Thus, the question is, why do we say the Shema and then follow it immediately with the prayer? The answer is that we bring close redemption to prayer. Redemption Joseph, prayer Judah. This is the mystical interpretation of the opening verse to our Torah portion, only that the question begs to be asked. In the Torah portion, Judah is approaching and being brought close to Joseph. While in the Talmudic ruling it is clear that the reason why we pray immediately after the redemption blessing of the Shema is not in order to bring prayer close to redemption, but in order to bring redemption close to prayer. In other words, here we are bringing Joseph to Judah and not Judah to Joseph. The answer is that the mystical interpretation of our Torah portion is that within the Torah portion, which speaks of the present, is hidden the half-Torah, which is the fulfillment of the Messianic era, in which Judah is the king, and Joseph approaches Judah. In other words, on a mystical level, in the Talmudic ruling that greater is study, is already hidden the future fulfillment of, because study brings to action, Judah. Let's go on now to the next topic. What humility does to our past. Let us now get into what happened when Judah approached Joseph. What did Judah say to Joseph? I'm now going to take a moment to read to you the entire speech which Judah told Joseph in the beginning of this Torah portion. Please, my Lord, 
Let now your servant speak something into my Lord's ears, and let not your wrath be kindled against your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have an old father and a young child of his old age, and his brother is dead, and he is left alone of his mother, and his father loves him. And you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, and I will set my eyes upon him. And we said to my Lord, The boy cannot leave his father, for if he leaves his father, he will die. And you said to your servants, If your youngest brother does not come down with you, you will not see my face again. And it came to pass when we went up to your servant, my father, and we told him the words of my Lord, that our father said, Go back, buy us a little food. But we said, We cannot go down. Only if, your, if our youngest brother is with us, we will, will we go down. For we cannot see the man's face if our youngest brother is not with us. And your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two children, meaning Rachel bore Joseph and Benjamin. The one went away from me, and I said, he, is sure, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. Now, if you take this one too away from me, and misfortune befalls him, you will bring down my hoary head in misery to the grave. And now, when I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, since his soul is attached to his, the boy's soul, it will come to pass when he sees that the boy is gone, he will die. And your servants will have brought down the hoary head of your servant, our father, in grief to the grave. For your servant assumed responsibility for the boy from my father, saying, If I do not bring him to you, I will have sinned against my father forever. So now, please, let your servant stay instead of the boy as a slave to my Lord, and may the boy go up with his brothers. For how will I go up to my father if the boy is not with me? Let me now see the, let me not see the misery that will befall my father. That's what Judah is saying to Joseph. Now, I read for you the entire speech that Judah spoke to Joseph. The next verse then goes on to say, Now Joseph could not bear meaning that something that Judah said caused this reaction that only now Joseph could not bear or contain himself any longer, and he reveals himself to his brothers. What exactly did Judah say to Joseph that Joseph didn't already know? Judah did nothing more than recap to Joseph the events in which Joseph had participated. Some commentaries explain that when Joseph heard that Judah put his physical life in this world and his spiritual life in the afterworld on the line to protect his brother Benjamin to the point that Judah was ready to approach the king of Egypt prepared for war, Joseph then realized that the brothers truly did teshuvah, repentance for what they did to him two decades ago when they sold their own brother into slavery. However, Hasidus takes the story to a whole new level. Judah begins with, Please, my lord, let now your servant speak something into my lord's ears. Upon which Rashi, Rab Shlomo Yitzchaki, the commentary comments, Let my words enter your ears. What does this mean? Everything painful that happens to us has an external dimension and an internal dimension. In other words, there is the painful physical dimension in which the experience manifests itself. However, there is also the spiritual dimension, the spiritual source of all that happens here below physically. In the source there is no evil and there is no pain. For as the verse of Lamentation says, from the mouth of the Most High comes forth no evil. Joseph, being of intellect, could not on his own perceive that all is absolutely good. 
all the suffering and his separation from his father Jacob, his being a slave, and from his imprisonment bore its mark on Joseph. Thus Judah, who has absolute humility and acceptance, approaches Joseph and speaks directly into his ears, begging of Joseph to be open to receive and to let enter what Judah has to say. Judah himself was originally not able to accept the supernal goodness of what took place as he moved away and descended from his father and brothers, taking blame for his father's pain after Joseph was sold. It was only through working his humility to the point where he openly admits that Tamar, his daughter-in-law, is right and that she is pregnant from him, Judah. Judah ascended level after level in prayer, humility, and acceptance. It is at the moment that he is pushed the furthest by Joseph that Judah reaches into his ultimate source of acceptance and humility for all that is happening. Then Judah leans over into Joseph and allows Joseph to now transform his entire external experience of the past into the internal experience as it exists in the source, total and absolute goodness. Immediately after Judah showers Joseph with humility and acceptance, Joseph suddenly cries out in acknowledgement and acceptance. But now do not be sad and let it not trouble you that you sold me here, for it was to preserve life that God sent me before you. Suddenly Joseph sees everything from the supernal bird's eye view rather than from the inferior worm's eye view. In closing, the gateway out of our painful past, freeing ourselves from its grip over our perception of the present and the future, now becomes crystal clear. Joseph didn't figure out uh, Judah, I'm sorry, Judah didn't figure out why God does and allows others to do what they do for us, and ever so painfully so. Joseph, who according to Kabbalah was even greater than the forefathers, who all had to isolate themselves as being shepherds in order to protect their spirituality, while Joseph was able to maintain and even grow his spirituality as the viceroy in the heart of secular and egocentric civilization, Egypt. And nevertheless, even Joseph's great intellectual and spiritual capacities could not help Joseph free himself of his painful past. It was only through prayer for humility and acceptance that Judah was able to unlock the grip that painful lower of the painful lower external dimension of the past had on him. It is only through Judah's prayer for humility and acceptance that Judah was able to free himself and Joseph from their painful past. Somewhere and somehow, we must let go of the rage and the pain of the past. And yet, no human power is great enough to do so for ourselves. The key to our dungeon cell of our painful past is prayer. Prayer for humility and acceptance. This is by no means easy to let go of the rage and pain to even be able to pray for humility and acceptance. And often, the crack of humility to do so lays in the very depletion we feel immediately post-rage. Carpe diem, and let the post-rage tears flow, begging God for release of the bondage of our egocentric self and to be open to receive God's gift of humility and acceptance. Friends, modernity offers growth and growth comes with challenges. Judaism offers timeless divine solutions. Here at the platform of the Jewish mind is where modernity meets Judaism.